For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey everyone, quick warning at the top. We are talking about YouTubers and sometimes they use bad language. Back in the spring, there was this moment that, to me, summed up the problem with YouTube perfectly. The Judiciary Committee will come to order. The House Judiciary Committee was holding a hearing on the rise of white nationalism. They invited the big tech companies to testify. Executives from Facebook and YouTube sat right next to each other, defending the way they fight hate speech online. Often in this space, we found that content can sit in a gray area that comes right up against the line. It may be offensive, but it does not violate YouTube's policies against incitement to violence and hate speech. What happened in Washington, honestly, it was kind of boring. But not if you were watching the hearings on YouTube's live stream. That's where viewers began railing against Jews, describing the hearing as anti-white. YouTube disabled the comments for a while, but many are still up today. This whole thing is a metaphor for how the storm of hateful rhetoric moves on YouTube and how hard it is for the site itself to control the damage. But it turns out, in the middle of the storm, there's a siren she's calling out to people who feel adrift. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my subscribers, so saith your goddess, for it is I, the digital messiah. Her name is Natalie. The online oracle, the social media savior, yay. Verily, I say. And should we call her ContraPoints or Natalie? Um, maybe it's, it's hard to say. Yeah. I think it's simplest to just call her ContraPoints. Michael Lowinger has been following ContraPoints. Natalie, for the last few months. He's been reporting on her for the WNYC show On the Media. Okay, but describe what I'm seeing. Okay, right excuse now. me. So, so she often begins many of her videos in some extraordinarily decadent, extravagant costume. I feel like I'm watching a drag show. Yes, I, I, I'm sure she would admit to being heavily influenced by drag culture. ContraPoints delivers political arguments, but set inside a lush, mythological world. Watching her is a little like dropping acid and staring into a disco ball, all while debating philosophy with your best friend. The videos are gorgeous, they're addictive, and they are built to fight alt-right YouTube from the inside. But she's in on the joke. She's funny. She's making fun of herself. She's making fun of people on the left a little bit. She makes really crude jokes. For a little while, her Twitter bio was sex, drugs, and social justice. Like, she's got, she's got an edge. This persona is hilarious and funny, and in her words, the exact opposite of what you'd expect from a so-called social justice warrior. Today on the show, how to change the alt-right's mind. It turns out ContraPoints is doing it. Mike is going to try to break down why it seems to be working. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick with us. 
This episode is brought to you by SAP. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI will not help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos, but it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia, or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks, or automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Tell me a little bit about who ContraPoints is. So ContraPoints, a.k.a. Natalie Wynn, is a 30-year-old trans woman, and she has become perhaps the most recognizable face of a new cohort of leftist YouTubers. But how did she get started? I mean, where does she live in the world? So she lives in Baltimore, Maryland. She got into YouTube way back when, had a not super successful channel, but was sort of interested in in the ecosystem of YouTube. Stopped doing that, pursued a PhD in philosophy. And in this program, in this PhD philosophy program at a very prestigious university, decided that this field was not exciting her. Talking about like Hegel and Nietzsche, it just, it was, it was increasingly divorced from what she thought was like the actual debates that mattered. And she left with a master's. She very briefly was a professor, um, an adjunct professor, and she just knew, like, this is not for me. But when she left, she wasn't sure what she was going to do. And she I think she was um, a clerk for a little while. She was an Uber driver. She was drinking a lot. And in her earliest videos, she still, when she got back to YouTube, she's still male presenting. Well, Natalie's evolution seems very Internet-y to me. Because this is the way the Internet works. It doesn't respond well when you try to erase your history. But when you openly acknowledge it, cross things out, replace things, Internet likes that. It's an especially big deal on YouTube where being candid, being authentic, showing viewers like the real you is something that viewers have a deep hunger for. And people also have like, a pretty sophisticated bullshit detector. So if you're watching a YouTuber who really looks like they're faking it or they're ripping off other YouTubers, people know right away. Yeah, it's like an uncanny valley. Exactly. Like you're not really you. Exactly. So back in 2014, 2015, Natalie starts seeing these YouTube videos pop up from the alt-right and feels this like urge to respond. Totally. What happened there? What I think she was witnessing was that a certain set of reactionary politics that blamed feminism, liberalism in general, minorities, basically everyone who's not straight white dudes, for somehow destroying Western culture. What do these videos look like? A lot of them are kind of grainy webcam videos of usually like a white guy looking at the camera, sometimes showing videos of a campus protester getting really emotional, you know? Um, you know, these people's ideas are just hysterical. You know? Snowflake. They're snowflake. They're not rational. They're completely driven by emotion. They they're get professionally offended. Their whole ideology is based on being offended and angry and using um, terms like, racist and sexist to silence us, to silence the real conversation. 
And she starts singling out specific YouTubers and just going very, very deep. I think one of her more interesting videos, ContraPoints, is where she takes on Jordan Peterson. Yes. Who is a psychology professor at the University of Toronto. Yep. And he's really made this space for himself as kind of a self-help guru for white guys, Mm -hmm. where he comes in, he says, well, the problem here is uppity women. Mm -hmm. And what I think is interesting about ContraPoint's response to him is that, first of all, she has a couple of moments where she acknowledges she wants to speak to Jordan Peterson's followers. Seriously, he's got a lot of fans on YouTube, and I hope you guys are here because... I want to talk. A lot of leftists who have responded to Peterson haven't really engaged with his ideas very much. He's often caricatured, avoided, or talked past, as in the inter- And then she picks apart his arguments, but she does it, I wouldn't quite say in a loving way, but in a funny way, where she kind of acknowledges the truth in what he's saying. She respects the fact that people who are drawn to Peterson feel like they need something that he's providing. Yes. I also like in that video where she says, like, there are certain things I like about how conservatives talk about the world. You know, they talk about what is the good life. And she says, sometimes I'm concerned that on the left, we don't we mostly talk about why things are bad and we don't talk about what is good. I mean, well, she says she says, we tell you what not to do, like don't wear blackface, but we don't tell you what to do other than use the right pronouns. Yeah. I this this is a side of ContraPoints that some people find extremely refreshing and I think other people kind of bristle at and they don't they don't love. But I certainly do think it makes her a more credible voice speaking to, let's say, Jordan Peterson fans and people much further to the right when you see that she's willing to concede some ground. She's not just an ideologue who's going to shout at you and wave her finger in your face. She's going to say, no, like Jordan Peterson is onto something. There's something here. And in general, she does a good job of recognizing why people are interested in right-wing politics in the first place. So ContraPoints isn't afraid to engage with ideas that other progressives might not touch. But she also studies alt-right chatter. And she uses alt-right language as a way to lure in viewers who might not find her otherwise. And then... Her videos are all wrapped up in the visual language of the internet. ContraPoints is, for lack of a better word, a giddy left-wing troll. I think one of her guiding principles is that we are a little too obsessed as a intellectual culture with, like, facts and evidence. Which is not to say that we should lie, but we should recognize that people don't form their politics in this purely rational way. It's not like, oh, I voted for Trump, but then I saw that Washington Post fact check and I saw that he was lying about that thing. And now I believe, you know, now I don't now I'm support Biden 100 percent. Yeah, exactly. Like, it, I think we all want to see ourselves as rational and smart and going with what's the most logical thing. And certainly when you watch ContraPoints videos, she is, I would say, extremely rational. You know, that ex-philosopher way of speaking and breaking down ideas is on full display. That said, she is far more invested in the style and in the narrative and in the presentation. For her, that is really, um, she, she told me, you know, politics is 
is a circus, not a forum. What's interesting about hearing you talk is that I feel like a lot of the coverage of radicalism on YouTube has focused on the idea that the algorithm did it. Mm -hmm. That And there's truth to that. There is an algorithm that incentivizes you to stay on the website longer and therefore feeds you more and more extreme content. But I wonder if looking at ContraPoint's videos shows that that's really not the whole story. It's it's not the whole story. The algorithm is going to feed you videos based on your viewing history. So... I'm skeptical of the narrative that the the perfect children who one day they go in as a perfect naive kid and the next day they leave as a fascist. Like that's a little too technophobic and like we shouldn't just completely blame the technology. A lot of YouTube videos and YouTubers are really edgy and there is certainly a process by which I think people become desensitized to popular videos that are at least partially harmful and people start to seek out edgier further right political content whether they know that they're doing it or not and the YouTube is sort of the the algorithm is sort of dancing alongside this desensitization to the content. Well you spoke to a whole bunch of people who had gone down the alt-right rabbit hole on Mm -hmm. YouTube and then stumbled on ContraPoint's videos yeah. and had a change of heart. Totally. When you talked to them, what'd you find? So one guy I spoke to, his name is Jake, and he's an Australian guy um, who's 19 now. And so young. He's young. He's young. That's YouTube's viewership. He had sort of gotten sucked pretty deep down the rabbit hole. I don't. I think this is a pretty extreme case. And he ended up in like the outright fascist part of the site where people stop speaking in dog whistles and they start just kind of saying what they believe. He got really, really into this stuff and decided to watch ContraPoints originally because he was like, well, I'm going to hate watch her and I'm going to learn how to to more effectively argue against her ideas, which is something I, I heard a good bit, you know. And what they found was she's really funny. She's not the SJW, the social justice warrior I thought she would be. She's not nearly as helpless and hysterical as uh, the women I see in those anti-social justice warrior compilations that are extremely popular on YouTube. Tell me a little bit more about Jake. Like, what what's his story? Just give me a little brief bio of him. Sure. So he is a he's an Australian teenager. He grew up in Queensland. He says he was in a fairly socially conservative upbringing. And around when he was 15 or 16, he started to feel, to suspect that he might be gay. And I don't think he was comfortable talking about it with his friends and his family. And this was around the same time that he was getting into like the edgier and edgier parts of YouTube. And it wasn't until he saw started watching ContraPoints that I think he was like, I've been kind of misled in a lot of ways. And then also, I think once he started to swing to the left, I think he started to feel more comfortable with his sexuality and sort of being honest with himself and those around him. So what happened to Jake? He came out of, I'll call it a right-wing tailspin, Mm -hmm. and went in a different direction. 
did he end up in the middle of the road? Like, where did he end up politically? So I I didn't talk about this in my piece, but he uh, identifies as Marxist. So he... Um, so he went from one side to the other. Yes. And the question is why? Like, why did that happen? Micah doesn't have an answer here. Not yet. But he talked to more than a dozen converts like Jake in the course of his reporting. He says this is a story he heard again and again, that former alt-right conservatives who were moved by ContraPoint's videos didn't shake off their beliefs and become centrists. Instead, many of the people he spoke with became radical leftists. There are maybe two ways of explaining it, and I'm not in these people's heads. And again, it's not a huge sample size. I think it gets a little bit more into messaging and political philosophy. The idea that... A lot of people who develop these radical far-right politics are deeply dissatisfied with the way our society is run. It's like the, the right and the left both believe the status quo is broken and is wrong. Yeah, it stood out to me that a lot of the people you spoke to, or at least a lot of the people that you spoke about in your reporting, who had sort of seen, um, had seen ContraPoint's content and it had really resonated with them, they had similar stories about having some kind of disjuncture like that. I was raised conservative. All of a sudden, I realized I was gay. I was raised in a certain way, or I went to college, and all of a sudden, I realized maybe I'm trans. And it's hard to know whether that's a function of who ContraPoints is and who would be attracted to her content, or whether there's something more there. Perhaps I made uh, too much of that archetype in my piece. I will say that in a lot of these right-wing places online, there's a lot of deep repression. There is a lot of mocking of emotional vulnerability and of uh, a lot of insecure and shy people who are open about that but are blaming other people and blaming some aspect of our culture for their own discomfort. I also think that a lot of people form politics on what they're exposed to. And at least on YouTube and on 4chan and on Tumblr for a while and on Reddit for a while, there were some really, really active right-wing places that I think are just, like, attractive to the teenage mind, you know? They're funny. They're irreverent. They're naughty. Everyone speaks a special language. And they're exposed to this culture. I don't think the left has been particularly good up until now, maybe, at bringing that kind of experience that's fun and naughty and in its original manifestation really harmful, but bringing the the sort of allure of internet culture to their politics. Um, and I think maybe that's partially why uh, Natalie Wynn and many of these other successful YouTubers are having success. Who is Natalie Wynn fighting now? Because when you interviewed her, she said... Where is the alt-right now? It seems like after Charlottesville, a bunch of people went to ground. A lot of people got deplatformed. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen her talking about the far right that much. She's kind of stopped talking about them. And as you mentioned, she said, like, a lot of these right-wing figures that had dominated the platform are gone. So she's not necessarily fighting them anymore. But one thing she is interested in doing is transitioning, she said, into makeup tutorials. Because makeup tutorials are huge on YouTube. As a way to talk politics. Yes. Yeah. 
So I think this speaks to a larger phenomenon of what has been successful on left-wing YouTube, which is meet people where they are. Where people get their politics is 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 changing. And she she's actually fascinated by the beauty culture of YouTube. And why can't I bring some of these ideas to that community? They're sort of ripe for an introduction to politics. And I, I just think that that's where our political discussions are headed, just more and more meeting people where they are. Michael Lowinger, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Michael Lowinger is a producer for On the Media from WNYC Studios. Go check him out in your podcast feed. All right, that's the show. If you're like me, you are picking up your phone and you're about to scroll through and look for the next thing to listen to. So when you do that, I've got a tip for you. Do not sleep on The Gist, hosted by Mike Pesca. On today's show, he is going to be talking to Politico's Tim Alberta about his new book, American Carnage. It's all about the turmoil in the Republican Party as Trump closed in on the nomination into his actual presidency. This show is produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Ethan Brooks, with super special guest appearance help today by Katya Kumkova. I'm Mary Harris, and I'm going to talk to you tomorrow.